You are now listening to The Scheist Podcast, when millions of opinions just aren't enough. Hello once again, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Scheist Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Scheist, and today we're talking about the Scott Fishbowl 12 Draft. Oh, we're recording now. Gentlemen, thank you for being here today. Uh, We're a few weeks removed from the end of our Scott Fishbowl number 12 email draft, but not to worry. I'm joined today by... AJ Carrion uh, of the Pylon Dons. We're joined also by Bob Forrest, not to be confused with my good friend of 30 years, who's also been a guest on this show, and joining us all the way from Australia, James McDonald. So uh, thank you guys for being here. And I think I'm going to go in reverse order of geographic convenience. James, why don't you tell me a little bit about how you got into fantasy football in Australia? Who's your team and what brought you to the fishbowl? Sure. Uh, g'day, everyone. Um, yeah, I, what brought me to fantasy? Uh, so I grew up in, uh, I actually grew up in Hong Kong and had a, a young American friend who, um, well, actually, he's actually Australian, but he moved to America uh, later on in, in life into Seattle and we reconnected. Um, about 10 years ago when he moved back to Australia, uh, we caught up. I wasn't big into American football at the time. I, I grew up a big baseball fan, actually. Uh, Love my baseball. Um, but he came back and, um, yeah, we, we caught up for dinner one night and he mentioned that he was in fantasy football and I didn't really know much about it. Um, I, I had another mate when I was really young. uh was a Giants fan, he, a guy from New York. So I kind of had them as like my little second team, but I never really followed them that much. Um, but when my mate came back from America, we started talking about football. He was a big uh, Washington Huskies fan, Seattle Seahawks. Um, given I was a, a Giants fan, I just kind of gradually started to get more and more involved in, in supporting the Giants. And and then once fantasy um, came into my life, kind of never turned back really. Um, you know, you, once you, great thing about fantasy, and I don't think a lot of, sometimes the people outside of fantasy and, and players really understand is, um, you know, when you're a fan of a football team, you watch your team every week, but you may not pay as much attention to some of the other games. Like you might, you'll know what the results will be, but you don't really watch them so much. But what fantasy does is, you know, it brings us in and, and you know, we watch every game because we're intent, we'll probably have some player playing. So we know exactly what's going on in every game. You know, we might be watching lots of games, so the revenue that comes in from that. So, um, you know, it, it really opened my eyes to American football. Um, so that was about, I think I've been in leagues about eight years now. Um, so I joined his original league, he had a, a place going. And then from there, I, a couple of years later, I started commissioning my own league uh, with some friends up in, in Brisbane in Australia where I live. Um, and then I'm now in, uh, started a dynasty league. I've obviously commissioned my own league. I'm still in the league that I was in originally. I'm, I'm in heaps of best ball leagues. So uh, it's kind of uh, mutated into a bit of a um, big fast, you know, it's one of my I'm addicted, I guess you could say. I'm sure we all are, but um, yeah. So Giants fan, um, but you know, the, the fantasy football community in, in Australia is growing. Um, it's, it's getting more popular here. It's on, you know, we all we get Game Pass, obviously, but it's on the big games are on um, ESPN and the, 
and some of the normal TV stations we have here. So it's it's a growing sport over here. And, you know, you, I don't know if you guys know them, but there's a few Australian like punters has obviously been uh, big in, in America. But, you know, there's now some offensive linemen which are coming in from Australia. Uh, Jordan Malada from the Philadelphia Eagles is the left tackle there. There's a young kid who's just joined the Ravens. So, you know, it, it's, it's a growing sport in Australia. That's great to hear. I mean, you know, the more global impact it has, the more we're going to see players from all over the globe getting that uh, kind of that hunger at a young age and getting that opportunity as they go through high school, go through college, et cetera, and have a chance at the pros. I'm going to extend the same question to you, Bob. Why don't you tell me about how you got started in fantasy? Um, well, first of all, James, uh, a 49er fan, Jared Haney, who I believe is a pretty big deal in Australia, was on our team for a little while. Um, so yeah, it's Jared Hain, but yes, he's uh, he, he we all it was big news over here. Trust me, we had another guy go over as well that uh, didn't quite go as but Jared Hain got a few games, but yeah, he's uh, he was a 49ers. Unfortunately, as a 49ers fan, I still didn't know how to pronounce his name properly, so uh, that's, that that's okay. that, yeah. Um, so I started getting into fantasy actually as a kid. My dad um started playing fantasy football back when you had to do scoring out of the USA Today. Um, and you know, mail in your submissions each week. And um, I remember to this day me telling him about this young guy, this rookie Marshall Falk that he should uh, get. And uh, of course, Marshall Falk, Falk did uh, great things as a rookie, and all of a sudden I was hooked. So um, after that, you know, I bounced around a little bit here and there, you know, because we moved a lot. So you know, jumping into leagues where I could. About ten years ago, I started commissioning my own league. Um, much like what James is saying is it started there and we've got sort of the same core of guys we've had about the last 10 years. But from there now, it's, yeah, jumped into Dynasty and, you know, every chance I, you know, am free from the family, I'm doing another uh, best ball draft on underdog more than likely. And it's, uh, it's dev- I, I, like you said, I think we're all we're all addicts here when it comes to fantasy football. I think, that, I think that's how we get into it. It's like quicksand. And once it gets a hold of you, it's really hard to get out. AJ, we'll pass the baton to you for a second, and then I'll uh, I'll follow up with an answer to that same question. Yeah, so I started playing fantasy football about 10 years ago, so my freshman year of high school, when I was looking for friends, and I found some fellow miserable Jets fans, and uh, rather than watching the Jets every Sunday, we were like, there's 31 other teams in the NFL, maybe we should try this uh, fantasy football thing on for size, and then from there, really caught on, and then Eventually, I learned about different scoring formats, standard, half PPR, full PPR. And then uh, once I learned about Dynasty, that was really when the the uh, addiction, as we've also eloquently put it, settled in. Uh, being able to track those players uh, through college, because I've been a, an avid college football fan as well throughout my life, mostly through my dad. Um, diehard, lifelong USC Trojans football fan, even though I'm based in New York. Um, so just being able to take my love of college football and then be able to apply that knowledge to fantasy football and really see things like that come to fruition definitely fueled the addiction. And then of course, in recent years, uh, found myself doing a lot of best ball. And then once I discovered all the amazing content creators in this space, it's something that I really wanted to join. So yeah, it's pretty much it. Uh, definitely uh, an addiction that I don't plan on kicking anytime soon. That's for sure. Yeah, I think if it's managed in a uh, healthy fashion, there's nothing wrong with uh, fantasy football. I got my start probably when I was a kid, like pre-high school, 
like you know doing it out of the newspaper uh my stepdad was big into it at the time i was more into fantasy baseball then um just because it you know it's such a numbers heavy game i just gravitated towards that and a friend and i like we just had like a two-person fantasy league where we would just go through the newspaper and track our stuff um and then this site called wall street sports came out which was kind of like in the infancy of online fantasy and it basically just treated the players like stock market commodities and you kind of you get like a small stipend to buy in with and invest in players and so that took me on a whole different direction and then i sat out for many many years um of not playing and i had a group of friends that wanted me to play because they had played uh fantasy basketball and they're like come on like do fantasy football you love football you love football do it and so i finally decided to do it and then i was like all right well i'm gonna be the commissioner of this league and so i jumped in like feet first and now we've been running that league for eight years i'm in another dynasty league with just a group of guys that's all uh content creators and so that we already had that draft and now the fishbowl as well and i'm trying to organize a fantasy league for charity that i've got like five or six people interested in and so the idea behind that would be each manager plays on behalf of uh, a charity of their choice and we use the season as basically like fundraising on a week-to-week basis for our charities that we're playing for and then at the end of the year the winner will get a small trophy and it'll be winner take all and then the rest of the entry fee pool goes towards that one charity but that way hopefully the fundraising during the season generates a little bit of money for all the other charities that are involved so that's where i'm at right now obviously i'm a bills fan um been that way for a long time even though i'm from la they were just that team that was like the tough luck underdog in the super bowl all the time and i was bonded to them through those losses and i've been with them ever since so that's a little bit about my story Before we move on, this episode is brought to you by the all-new ADP IPA from Side Project Brewing. Bursting with notes of citrus and double hop to malty perfection, the new ADP IPA boasts a respectable 9% alcohol by volume. That's perfect for checking out the preseason, fueling your fantasy drafts, or just kicking back and relaxing during the dog days of summer. If you're a fan of delicious flavor and football, then crack open an icy can of ADP IPA and you'll be arguing online with strangers in no time. Please remember to drink this fictional beer responsibly. I want to get your guys' thoughts on what our draft was like because we, I don't know who it was. I don't know if it was AJ. I don't know if it was Jason or I think Brett. I think it was Brett who started it, but somebody reached out. They got 11 of the 12 of us into a Twitter group chat. And for the most part, I think we had a really good time other than waiting on one guy. So Bob, why don't you uh, fill me in on what your take on that was? Um, The group chat alone was a great time. Uh, This is my first Scott Fishbowl. um, And I got into fantasy Twitter about a year, half, two years ago. Um, it started to kind of learn some of the characters and some of the players. So it was fun to be involved in something that felt more like it's not just me and my buddies. Like it kind of felt like it was a little bit, you know, it was a bigger deal. Yeah. So I had a lot of fun with it. I, I really enjoyed the fact that um, everybody seemed pretty invested, which is why I think it was so frustrating that we had the one guy that wasn't because, um, you know, I, I, um, 
I thought it was a pretty big deal to you know be invited. I mean, I wore my T-shirt for tonight because of that. I see you know? that. So uh, um, it was a lot of fun being able to talk fantasy, and I mean, we'll get a little bit more down into the, probably the draft itself later. But I also found it very interesting to draft against uh, everyone in the league that is, is plugged in. You know, my my home, my, the league I commission is probably the most competitive league I'm in. And there are three or four guys that really are plugged in. And then there's two or three guys that know a lot about football, but don't really get all the minutia of fantasy. And then, of course, we've got our, you know, last year, Cream Hunt went in the second round inexplicably. So mm-hmm. um, <laughs> it, was, it was fun to to be with an entire group of people. It was fun and also infuriating to get my guys sniped every single round because the, apparently you guys know what you're doing, too. So... Maybe just a little bit. AJ, uh, you've been in the creator space, the content creator side of things for a while. Um, is this your first fishbowl? So, funnily enough, my co-host was actually invited to the Scott Fishbowl last year, and I was not, and we actually sort of flipped places. But uh, he and I did consult each other both last year and a little bit this year as well on some of the picks. So it's really good to kind of uh, get a little bit of his opinion. But yeah, I'm pretty familiar with the scott fishbowl uh i the thing i love about it is really that unique scoring format of course the the charity aspect comes first and the bigger cause that we're playing for is really awesome and i think that's really the driving force behind a lot of people's drive in this league but um definitely that bizarre scoring format sort of forces you to approach the draft in in a way that you really don't approach any other standard fantasy football league and to have other people that familiarize themselves with that scoring format uh, made it really, really difficult and really kept me on my toes. So I really enjoyed that aspect of it and getting to uh, connect with all these content creators from not only around the country, but around the world is, is really an awesome part as well. Yeah, it's really been a lot of fun. And speaking of around the world, uh, James, why don't you tell us about what you thought about this email draft style that took us uh, two weeks? Yeah. Yeah, it took, I mean, I've been in a few, um, I guess, uh, no, well, long, slow drafts uh, before. So when you're Australia, you kind of you get used to it. Um, look, I think mirror Bob's sentiment. Like there was obviously one guy in the um, in the draft which you know seemed to hold us up. Most people were pretty good on that. I guess my concern in the draft was I was going to be the one. Like obviously, when when you guys were drafting, when I was having a sleep. Um, it, you know, I was kind of concerned I'd wake up and I'd been on the clock for ages and everyone would get frustrated. But luckily, the, the the person who was taking a bit of time was the one who was right before me a lot of the time. So I was actually pretty lucky. Um, look, I mean, this is, I've been trying to get in the fishbowl for, for five years. Um, I think it was last year. Scott used to have a rule where if you had signed, like put your name down as a, a non-creator for like four years or something like that, you automatically got in. So last year was my four years and he, he uh, I remember him sitting out a tweet saying, I'm going to change the rules. So many people are keen to play that I've got to get rid of that four-year rule thing. I was like, ah, oh, you're killing me. Mm. So uh, I was lucky to kind of get in this year. He sent out a tweet like, you know, if you've been in signing up more than four years, uh, send me a tweet and I'll get you in. So I managed to see that and got in. He, he, Scott does a great job. Like, you know, he's obviously well-renowned within the fantasy community. He does a lot. And this is an amazing competition that he runs. As he said, it is for charity, but it's great to you know be able to meet people from around the world who have such the same passion as me uh which is not something you know outside of this you really get to do um so for me that's the amazing part is you know you can have a chat with guys from different backgrounds different countries um i think there might have been someone from the uk in our draft as well 
Um, but regardless, like it's it's just amazing how um, you know how you can meet different people. I think in terms of a slow draft, um, you kind of you want to get to your next pick, but you also never want it to end. Um, just because I just love drafting so much, but you know it's 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 great fun. I always love it. Yeah, I was in that position where I wanted to pick, but I knew that as soon as I did pick, we're going into an eight-hour hole with uh, our least favorite member of our league. But for the most part, like, I think we got a really good group of managers together. Uh, Everybody in the chat was really cool, like, no issues uh, aside from the one guy. But for me, yes, my first time in the fishbowl, I didn't even learn about the fishbowl until last year. And one of the producers of the Potathon reached out to me aside from everything and asked me if I wanted to get involved uh, on a sponsorship level. So I talked to him about it a little bit. Nice guy. And eventually I was like, you know what? I'll do it. I'll sponsor it. And like, I'm not asking anything in return. And then he came back to me later. It was like, hey, you know, Scott's looking to maybe give out some spots. Like, would you be interested in playing? And I was like, you know what? That's awesome. Let's do this. And uh, so here we are now. We're going to get into right now the roster rundowns. So does anybody want to volunteer to go first? I will say really quick, I believe the site is open. I actually had to put a waiver claim in Gotcha. already. Um, I, it hasn't processed yet, but it's still pending. So I don't know if it's going to go or not. So, Okay. Well, thank you for that because I need to look at that. Now that uh, like we've hit training camp, I'm doing the commissioner work for my other league. So I haven't been looking at this one just yet, figuring I have some time. But uh, should I pick or do you guys want to volunteer? Um, I can get started. All right, let me let me see if I can screen share this. Uh, where are you at, AJ? Did you put yours in there? Yeah, you sure. did. All right, I got it. Okay, so let me get that. There it is. Can you guys see this? Okay. Yep. All right, so you had the number three overall pick. Okay. Yeah, I uh, I was pretty happy about that. Um, Definitely decided to go with with my gut. I've got Lamar Jackson as my QB2 overall in my personal rankings. And the interesting thing about Lamar is that although he does provide that rushing upside, the high completion percentage that gets incentivized in this scoring format is also something that he hits pretty often on a weekly basis. Not necessarily consistently, but um, he's got plenty of games where he's got well over 66% completion percentage. Uh, which kind of incentivized me to pick him over Patrick Mahomes, who went right after at the 104. And then um, I decided to load up on receiver early, uh, more so as a precaution of not knowing how the uh, the rest of the board was going to fall and if the receivers were going to sort of go in a, in a big stretch or not. And then um, I also missed out on a lot of those top tight ends. So with the tight end premium in the scoring format, once I missed out on those top elite guys with the guaranteed volume uh i sort of audibled to end up rather than taking a middle round tight end grabbing a few of the later round tight ends in the double digit rounds and uh hoping that uh in this best ball format i can sort of put together among the scraps a tight end one that can at least hang with some of the better tight ends uh in fantasy i was very thankful to get swift um at the 403 as my RB9. And then um, Mac Jones is another guy uh, who I was targeting because of that completion percentage bonus. 
Brees Hall, a little bit of a homer pick at uh, the 6-3, but had to go grab a jet. And I do think he's got plenty of upside for this year. Uh, I was able to stack Rashad Bateman, which I was really excited about. Um, and then at that turn, probably my favorite turn on my draft was going Bateman and then Darnell Mooney uh, to pair with Chase and Stefan Diggs and sort of allowed me to forego the receiver position, even though there are a lot of later round guys with plenty of upside and probably more than a few that will hit. Uh, I just wanted to make sure that since Mac Jones isn't a guarantee to be perfect every week, that I had some sort of QB depth. And then I was able to also snag running back depth later on, something that a lot of people are doing more of, which is that hero running back strategy where you maybe get one or two earlier running backs and then you get more running backs that are in the later rounds that are maybe in ambiguous backfields where the starter has a shorter leash or maybe the starter may not even be named. So that's kind of what pushed me to draft Ramondre Stevenson a little bit above ADP as the 35th back off the board. And then Cole Komet, uh, a tight end I was pretty confident would receive an uptick in volume, mostly just because of the lack of uh, target competition in Chicago. And then uh, James Cook, another guy I kind of reached on a little bit more so just uh talented player decent draft capital good offense i kept it in the the realm of rookies with sky more at the turn um definitely more of a best ball second half type of play i do think he may be a little bit slow out the gate but he could if he gets acclimated in that offense turn it up to the second half of the season and then obviously injuries and the like are so common in fantasy football that having that guy that maybe has that second half upside was really important uh i was able to snag irv smith I'll be honest, I don't really like Irv Smith, but <laughs> as the 21st tight end off the board, uh, I really couldn't pass up considering I only had one on my roster. And uh, mm-hmm. Kirk Cousins is pretty prone to targeting the tight end. He's not, he's targeted the tight end position 95 or more times in his four years in uh, Minnesota. So now that Tyler Conklin's gone, I figured, hey, if he's, if he's able to stay healthy, there's at least a chance to get some decent volume, maybe not every week. I took Kenny Pickett at the 14th, uh, at the 14-3. From what we've been hearing in training camp, I may not be in love with that pick, but we'll wait and see. Hopefully he can pick it up. Evan Ingram's a tight end I'm, I'm pretty high on. Doug Peterson loves to get his tight ends involved from his time in Philly, and Trevor Lawrence was targeting Dan Arnold quite a bit to end the year last year. So hopefully Evan Ingram, who looks to be the projected starter, walks into some good volume. Uh, McKissick, definitely just a PPR upside running back depth piece there. Alec Pierce was actually a receiver that I think will benefit from that first down receiving bonus, mostly just because he is a deep threat and Matt Ryan is uh, no stranger to stretch in the field. Uh, Geno Smith, I was super happy about. He's looking like he's got the starting job, at least for now, above Drew Locke. Drew Locke has given him a run for his money in camp, but Gino's definitely got that veteran experience over him. Um, Curtis Samuels, one of my favorite late round dart throws, particularly in best ball. I think that injury really plagued him. And uh, what he did in 2020 for Carolina was really awesome. I really enjoyed watching him. And I do think he's got a chance to back, bounce back. Uh, Mike Davis in the 20th round. I mean, with the injury news for Dobbins and Gus, uh, I figured I'd want a piece of that backfield if it falls apart like it did last year. And I mean, we saw Devonta Freeman, Latavius Murray, you name it. There was anybody over the age of 26 that had played running back was basically on that roster at one point or another. 
Uh, snagged my kipper, kicker in uh, Dustin Hopkins. Uh, the kicker is pretty valuable in the scoring format, and I figured being a kicker in a high-powered or a projected high-powered offense like the Chargers should help. And then uh, another bit of a homer, homer pick, but uh, a tight end that I do think could see some nice check down volume. And the guy I snagged with my final pick was Tyler Conklin from my New York Jets. Yeah, I think you got great value on Conklin, honestly, uh, and Samuel. And realistically, I probably would have taken Pickett or Smith, but I think I was just in this weird rotation where it was like getting taken right before my pick. And so I'm like, I'll move on to another skill position for now and come back to a garbage quarterback. And then that garbage quarterback was gone. So. Yeah, I think, I mean, your roster is pretty solid. Definitely your uh, your high-end receivers are very nice. Uh, what made you, uh, so what is it about Lamar, I would say, at, at that position, since you said you have him number two overall, why why do you have him that high in this format? Is it the, just the rushing or is it, I mean, you mentioned the completion percentage, but is he going to, is that going to put him above uh, Justin Herbert or Mahomes? In the um, long run. I would say the the rushing upside is is really that difference maker. And uh, as somebody who owns J.K. Dobbins in Dynasty, that's a situation that I've been monitoring like a hawk for some time now. Dobbins was a really highly touted prospect for me coming out of Ohio State. And it's unfortunate he hasn't stayed on the field, but it seems like Greg Roman doesn't plan on reducing the amount of rushing attempts this Baltimore offense is going to put out on the field, no matter who's in the backfield. And I think once, if Dobbins and Gus aren't necessarily ready or 100%, which thankfully they're starting to trend towards, uh, Lamar's rushing upside will definitely be uh, seen to fruition, especially now that uh, Hollywood is gone. So they don't really have a true field stretcher. And I think that's going to make Lamar have to use his legs a lot more than he did last year. Yeah, that's perfectly fair. And I mean, Baltimore is a rushing team. That's who they are. That's what they do. Uh, that's not going to change this season, like you said. Let's go to James. You got any thoughts on this lineup that you're looking at? Yeah, I guess two sides of me that I love about this team. I think your first four picks are fantastic. That, that's a great core of you know starting wide receivers. And I, I'm pretty high on Swift this year. I think um, I think he's going to have a good year. I think the Lions are going to be a lot better this year. Um, you know, second year under the, the same system. I, I really like where he's going. So I think that's a great pick. And I really love what you did with the tight ends, to be honest. Like, I think you kind of, you went late with Cole Komet. I, I'm, I'm really high on Cole Komet. I think he's probably a tight end sleeper that, you know, if, if I'm not going, if I'm not getting the Kelsey or the um, Pitts or something, then he's someone I might target in my later rounds in my normal draft. So I really love that pick. But having him with Irv Smith, Ingram and Conklin, I think like one of those, I'm pretty sure one of those guys is going to hit. I think you're going to be happy. I like Conklin, the last pick of the draft. Like, I'm surprised he was still there. I, why would, what was I doing? Like, I, I missed him there because uh, I, I have him on my dynasty team. I picked him up last year at that, when he was at the Vikings, and, like, he did a great job. And I think from all reports I've heard out of the Jets, and AJ, you'll know better than me because you're probably close to that, but it sounds like he's getting a real good rapport with Wilson. He's, I think Uzama is there as well, but it sounds like Conklin's actually the tight end one there at the moment. So, you know, that, you know, he, I think those tight ends are just great. I think the way, the thing that uh, you, you probably know, the place and the way you target for high upside is probably just your running backs. But I like Swift. I think Brees Hall's, um, I think he'll go right. It'd be interesting to see how he goes there, obviously. Um, and that'll depend on how Wilson goes this year. But, you know, I, I think as 
as Nick said, it's a solid team, but I love your first round, your first four picks, and I love your tight end. So I think it's, it was a good job. Appreciate Bob. it. Thank you. How about you, Bob? Um, well, I feel like I'm about to layer on more of what James just said than probably then some. Um, of the four of us here, I went through and looked at each one of these teams. And AJ, I've got to tell you, yours is my favorite by far, including my own. Your first five wide receivers going all the way to the 12th round with Sky Moore, all five of your wide receivers are ones that those are the best possible outcome I feel like you could have had getting all five of those guys. <clears throat> it's crazy. Um, and I, you're going to get hear more about how much I hate your team when I get to mine since you and I were next to each other the whole draft. <laughs> Uh, lots of my notes about the players I don't like on my team are directly related to the ones you took directly before me. Uh, um, um, Swift and Hall, I feel like they're both going to be home runs or they're going like, to, there's, there, there's risk there, but I feel like there's a lot of opportunity to have two top five to eight to 10-ish guys there. Um, and while I did not want to wait on tight end because of the premium scoring, I feel like the you did the best. I mean, getting Komet, Smith, Ingram, and Conklin is four tight ends. Like you're piecing together something decent, considering you waited until the tenth to, to even go on tight end. Your whole team, as far as I can see, is going to be predicated on what your QB two is. Can Mac Jones keep doing it? Is Kenny Pickett going to be out there? I actually think Geno Smith will be the starter, but like your QB two is going to be basically your whole team at this point because the rest of it's all solid. Yeah, I'm definitely uh, definitely got a lot riding on Mac Jones. Um, from what I saw to Geno Smith last year, he developed a decent rapport with Metcalf and actually was able to put up some solid performances. Not a crazy high ceiling. I mean, he's now, he was formerly a mobile QB, but he's over the age of 30 and hasn't really spent a bunch of time starting in the NFL. So we'll see if that comes to fruition. The Kenny Pickett pick, even though at QB 31, the value is definitely there. That's that's something that will either make or break it if Mac Jones and Geno can't put together a combined 2BQ finish. Bob, since you mentioned your team, we're going to go to you next. Yeah, that's fine with me. All right, where's yours? I think this is you right here. Yeah, that's you, right? That's, yeah, that's me. Now, uh, we, we did discuss the use of profanities here, but I have a lot of them pre-typed in my notes here, directed all at AJ. Um, so... The show is for adults. It's okay. Perfect. No. Um, so again, this being my first fishbowl, I you know knowing the scoring is unique, and I dug into it the best I could. But it's kind of hard your first go around, I think, without ever seeing it in the flesh, really watching it kind of hash itself out. I wanted to make sure that I I wanted to spread it around. Now, typically, when I draft in general, I usually will sacrifice a position for another position of, of uh, importance, essentially. But when it came to this draft, I did I wanted to kind of diversify as much as possible to mitigate any possible holes, because I don't really see how the scoring falls out after, you know, I want to see it happen in real life. So Mahomes, again, at 104, the very first, uh, the very first bad word of AJ is Lamar Jackson was, I had him already selected, ready to go. Then um, again, it has to do with the rushing. Um, I don't think Mahomes is going to be a problem at the 104. You know, I'm not worried about them losing targets there. I think they'll figure out a way to still move the ball. He'll still put up numbers, but Lamar Jackson was definitely the pick there. Um, very happy to get Justin Jefferson in the second. Um, coming around to Justin Fields in the third was the first pick that I ha- second guessed myself on. 
but especially when I came back before, you know, us doing this show, I looked at your guys' teams as well. And I didn't want to end up with that question mark at QB2. Having a super flex position, I, I, there was no way I was going to let myself be stuck with a, a Zach Wilson or somebody as my QB2. I didn't want that to happen at all. So I definitely reach for Justin Fields, but I, when I look at the roster, I'm happy to see him there. When it comes to running backs, I am, I'm higher on some guys that a lot of people aren't. I love Saquon Barkley. I would, again, Swift would have been the pick here, but I'm all in on Saquon Barkley this year. He's two years removed from major injury. Uh, last year, of course, a lot of soft tissue stuff. So this will be the year that he fully bounces back. Um, and AJ Dillon is probably one of my biggest sleepers this year. I, I, I really do think whether um, Aaron Jones is healthy or not, I believe AJ Dillon is going to have a monster season. Um, my favorite pick, I think, of my whole draft really is probably Michael Pittman at the 604. Um, I think I got some pretty good value there, especially at the wide receiver, uh, as my wide receiver, too. Um, Miles Sanders, I was on tilt for because uh, Darnell Mooney had just gotten taken. <laughs> so uh, I grabbed Miles Sanders real quick. Um, I actually like Daniel Jones. I'm going to skip over Russell Gage because his uh, stock has just plummeted since this draft. Like the Daniel Jones pick, uh, MVS to get sort of a cheap stack with Mahomes um, in case he pays off. Uh, Gerald Everett, again, I just wanted to make sure I had more options at tight end. I wanted targets uh, just because I wanted to mitigate as much risk as possible. Uh, Isaiah Spiller is one that I I really believe he'll have a lot of usage. I think he's going to consolidate all of the other carries in L.A., that don't go to uh, Eckler. I think he's going to consolidate all the backup role. And then Eckler, who has been injury prone himself, you know, Spiller's primed to be pretty great there. Um, all the word out of camp about Rondell Moore being at the slot, being more of a full-time role. We got six weeks without Hopkins. Now you've got Hollywood Brown problems. I feel like the Rondell Moore, Rondell Moore pick has looked better the farther we get away from the draft. Um, Tim Patrick is a heartbreaker. I actually believed he was going to be awesome. And so that one, that one breaks my heart. Same. Yeah. Um, Austin Hooper, that, that was about as safety of a pick as humanly possible. I want a guy that's going to get seven and eight, nine targets a week. And he's not going to do much with it, but I'm, he's never going to give me a zero. KJ Osborne, again, I don't know if you guys heard actually just at the camp yesterday, the Minnesota Vikings are lining up basically completely in the 11 personnel. So um, he'll be on the field a lot. So that could be a pretty fruitful pick at that point. Um, Desmond Ritter, I wanted a third. I didn't. Need, I want. I figured to grab another quarterback. Um, that was more of keeping it away from the other guys in the league. Um, mm-hmm. And I imagine he'll have the job at some point this season. Yeah, quite um, possible. I would have taken him. Yeah, yeah. And then really, uh, I actually made the the joke in our group chat at Kenny and Drake. I got the. Uh, Raiders starting running back at the 2004. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right now he's third on the depth chart, so I don't think that uh, that joke's doing well. But um, I still think with his pass catching chops in the new offense, I feel like he could end up returning some value that late. And I actually went with two kickers here. Again, mitigating risk. Kickers score really well in this league, and they're allowed to be put in the flex. So I thought if I'm wrong about some of these guys i actually have a 10 point a week guy i can plug and play if i needed to yeah the the tim patrick acl tear that was that was a heartbreaker i've got him in another league and that was brutal and 
I'm similarly invested in some Tampa stock that uh, has plummeted since this draft as well. Um, but I like I like Everett's potential. Um, do you know if he's just stepping into the starter role there? That so it's funny he through yesterday I actually thought he was, and then I started hearing some murmuring that um, was it Parham yeah. get some some attention. Was he a second-year tight end? They do take a few years to really come into their own. So I think worst-case scenario, they're just going to cannibalize each other. Best-case scenario, he needs another year, and Everett's still the guy. But, I mean, who knows? I think I think Everett goes as Herbert goes, probably. Yeah, fair enough. And I think you got pretty good value on Daniel Jones because it is a make-or-break year for him. He's got all his guys healthy again. They drafted offensive line. Uh, like you said, Saquon uh, is now two years removed from the big injury. So it's like he should have a run game. Their defense is pretty solid. Uh, he's got playmakers all around him. So there's really not any reason for him to at least not be moderately successful. And he had games where he produced at a pretty decent level already, even missing a lot of those weapons. And he's, you know, an underrated uh, run threat. So he'll give you some rushing too, but I like that pick. Let's go to AJ. What do you think? Um, well, Justin Jefferson at two oh nine is a is a slam dunk value, even as the wide receiver two off the board. Uh, being able to grab him in the back half of the second is phenomenal. He's my wide receiver one as of right now, and uh, even though the Justin Fields pick on paper feels like a reach as the 18th quarterback off of the board with his rushing upside i think you're honestly going to be just fine at qb2 i've been projecting him as a weekly super flex starter as well saquon the upside is obviously there the michael Pittman pick definitely another slam dunk and aj Dillon as well i love that pick uh i think even i think him and aaron jones are going to be both having snap shares well above 50%, oftentimes likely lining up in different spots across the field. But both being on the field quite often, Matt LaFleur was no stranger to doing that last year. And now with the departure of Adams, we're going to be seeing that a ton. Gerald Everett was an absolute slam dunk. Jared Cook, uh, the T1 for uh, the Chargers last year, received over 80 targets, was Basically, not much of a difference maker with them, but the year prior, Hunter Henry, when he was the starter, received over 90 targets. So the tight end position gets utilized, and with the Chargers not really bringing in any receiving options in the last couple of years beyond Josh Palmer, who was a third-round pick in the 2021 NFL draft, uh, there's plenty of opportunity for Everett to continue to take leaps in the right direction, especially because he's basically coming off of career highs and all the main statistical categories from his year in Seattle with Russell Wilson. Uh, Spiller seems to be the locked and loaded RB2 on this depth chart. This isn't like a, the Joshua Kellys or the Larry Roundtrees of the world. Isaiah Spiller had so much more pedigree as a prospect, and it was really a shock to see him fall as far as he did in the NFL draft. And I think as outside of the top 45 running backs, that was probably the best pick you could have made there. And with Rondell Moore, that's another guy I've been targeting quite a bit of. Uh, unfortunately, I sort of panic sold in Dynasty last year, and I'm sort of I'm trying to repair the damages, but um, uh, we'll see how that goes. I love Rondell Moore for this year, though. And uh, 
KJ Osborne, one of my favorite deep sleepers. Now that the uh, the Rams OC is over in Minnesota, like you said, um, the eleven personnel is going to be extremely common. And uh, KJ Osborne played outside and then was able to move into the slot when Thielen missed time. Something that unfortunately Adam Thielen has done more of throughout the last few years of his career. So I totally could see KJ Osborne crushing his uh, his draft spot for sure. And then, um, yeah, I mean, I loved all those picks. The Tim Patrick pick was probably, without this ACL tear, the single best wide receiver value in the draft, in my opinion. It's super unfortunate that he suffered that tear because uh, I really think he, he could have been such a difference maker and potentially a top 30 receiver this year. But, yeah, I mean, I think you got a ton of value, especially in the mid-rounds, and I really like this receiver group you've got here. Uh, James, let's toss it over to you. What are you looking at? Uh, yeah, I guess um... – as a 49ers fan, Bob, you, you've team, yeah, you've drafted a team that any Giants fan would be proud of. They're really <laughs> look. I, I'm with you on Sackline. I think this could be like you know that Todd Gurley year where you know he he was he had that bad year the year before. He was picked like number one overall, and then he had the down year, um, and then the next year everyone was writing him off, but he came back and he was the number one player again. Like that, that could be. I mean, I'm not going to say he's going to be the number one player in, in fantasy, but you know, round four, that's that's a great pick, and I think he's going to be good this year if he can stay healthy that it it's, could be a big if but i'm i'm hopeful as a giants fan that i'm right i think your team is probably the one that's been hit the most because we drafted obviously earlier than you know what we would do in our home leagues and you know as everyone said that's really unfortunate like i i agree russell gage and patrick were um looking really good really liked them um and you know the partner news with everett's not sounding great and daniel jones i'm here is is hitting uh Hitting fans on the sideline, so as a, a Giants fan, I'm, I'm slightly concerned. But, um, <laughs> um, I wish it wasn't the case, but that like I think the one that sticked out, stuck out for me, and I made some notes here. KJ Osborne, that like you know we had them list, you know maybe talking about sleepers later. Um, he's a guy that I really really like. Um, I'm really good friends with a Vikings fan, and he's in a dynasty a dynasty league that I'm in, and he's trying everything to get Osborne because he's all over it. And um, you know I really really like that pick, but you know I think it's. It's not a well-rounded team. I think if TJ Hawkinson can have first half of season, season TJ Hawkinson season rather than the second half, then you know you, you'll be okay at, at tight end. That's probably your weakest position. But you know if you're going to have a weak position, tight end's not a bad one to have, as we all know in, in fantasy. Um, but yeah, I mean it's, it's a well-rounded team. Hopefully, um, some of the guys you got a little bit later can make up for the, the gauges and the Patricks, which aren't you know have had some bad news. So uh, there's a bit of upside there. So it'd be interesting to see how it goes. Yeah, I actually like the KJ Osborne pick a lot. He was on one of my teams last year, and I just seemed to always play him in the wrong week. He would go off when he was on my bench, and I'm like, all right, yeah, he's finally getting hot. Let's get him back in there. And it's like, nope, I do like him, but good value, good value for you that late, too. Stacked him with Justin Jefferson, too, right? So, you know, yeah. Him a good yeah. Season. hopefully one of them is going to go well. And good insurance policy on top of it, too. Uh, James, we're going to go to you next. And then we'll we'll rip my team apart last. Pull that up. There we go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I guess my strategy is a little bit different. I mean, it's, it's a super flex league with a tight end premium. Um, so that kind of drove. I was at the, the sixth pick. Um, I had basically five quarterbacks in the same, you know, in a tier, uh, which I would have been happy with. And then after that, it kind of it fell off a little bit for me. Um, so kind of. I wouldn't say I was forced into it, but, you know, with the tight end premium, 
Um, I think a lot of people are probably a little bit down on Kelsey this year. Um, obviously, with Tyreek going, I understand that. I guess from a tight end's perspective, you know, that double coverage or the extra pressure, given they line up in the line or out wide a little bit, might be a little bit less of an impact on him. But, you know, I still think he's going to have a good season. He's going to be Mahomes' number one target this year, probably more so now that Tyreek's gone. Um, with that tight end premium, I just couldn't go past him at the 106. Um, you know, there were some really nice guys behind him with some, you know, obviously Justin Jefferson being taken by Bob in the second round. I, maybe I feel a little silly now, but, um, you know, hopeful that, you know, Kelsey can be really solid. And and that kind of drove, um, I guess, what I do with tight end. Uh, you know, I jump all the way to Robert Tunyon at, at 16, who I think is just, he's got upside, you know, low floor, high ceiling kind of guy. But, you know, with uh, the wide receivers in Green Bay, I think Tunyon can, um, you know, he could do it, have another season like he had a couple of years ago. So, you know, partnering him with Kelsey, I probably should have grabbed another tight end somewhere, but um, I'm just kind of hoping that Kelsey just has a great year and, and rides me in that position. Um, then from there, so I guess a lot of people obviously were still going quarterbacks really early in the draft. Um, so I kind of zigged where everyone else was zagging. Um, you know, I guess because there's so many teams in Scott Fishbowl, you've got to kind of be different. I guess if you really want to make it fast, so I'm like, well, I'll go go hard or go home. Um, and went with two running backs with the next two picks. Just like having kind of that certainty of the, the floor with these two next picks, like Derek Henry, 207, Joe Mixon. I really like, I had Joe Mixon in my team last year, um, carried me to a championship in, in one of them. And, you know, he's with Joe Burrow coming in for second year, I think he's going to be really heavily involved if he's if he's healthy. Um, and Derek Henry, if he, if, like there's both of them have injury small injury concerns if they can stay healthy you know that as they say you don't you don't lose your draft in the first few rounds i think uh it's what happens later and that's maybe where the issues will come obviously i waited on quarterback when everyone else was um was going early i nearly took Tua at the third round instead of joe mixon i really like Tua. um he's got some great weapons you know as we know tyreek's come across um waddle um Gisicki, the line's a bit better um, I really like, like the new coach as well. So, you know, I, I think he's he's a quarterback that if I'm going late on quarterback, he's a guy that I'm kind of targeting late. Now, Trevor Lawrence at five, I kind of felt like my hands were tied. Um, not many quarterbacks were gone. He was QB 20. Look, I, I think Urban Meyer's gone, so that's going to be an improvement, I think, for, for Trevor. Um, the new you know, Doug Peterson there, you know, he did great things with uh, with Carson Wentz and uh, and Foles to win the uh, the Super Bowl. So I'm hoping that rubs off on on Trevor. Biggest issue for Trevor is his turnovers. Um, I think interceptions and and uh, and obviously completions are a negative in this in this league. So he's going to have to turn it around. I think he had well close to 20 turnovers last year with fumbles and interceptions. So that's that's a pretty big concern for me. But um, hopefully with the new regi- regime. Um, the weapons that he's got that'll improve. Uh, DJ Moore around six for me. I've got him actually pretty high. I've got him um, in top the top twelve on the cusp there of a, a wide receiver one. So um, obviously not going wide receiver in the first five picks. Um, I kind of decided I needed to make. I, I think we have to start a fair few wide receivers. I think it's three wide receivers uh, in this league. So I made a conscious decision to go wide receivers in the next few picks. And I love DJ Moore. I think um, whoever wins the job there. I think he'll still have a great year. I've got him high. I think he's, he can be a bit boom and bust, but in best ball, that's a good thing. But my favorite pick, uh, well, one of my favorite picks is Brandon Cooks. I've got that guy. I'm I'm trying to get him everywhere that I can. I've, I did a little comparison between a few players uh, who currently his um, ADP is 63, in, according to Fantasy Pros. 
if I look at someone who like T Higgins is at 31, um, they're like, their stats are the last, I mean, obviously the age is different, but you know, the last two years, their stats are pretty similar. Like, you know, they've both played around that 30 games, uh, fantasy points total, like 380, uh, 386 for, for Brandon Cooks, 347 for T Higgins. Um, and they're pretty similar in receptions and targets. So I'm like, well, you know, the similar, similar output, the guy is definitely going to be a number one wide receiver. I just love Brandon Cooks and um, Davis Mills. I think he's underrated. I got him in my dynasty league. I love him. Um, I, I moved on from Russell Wilson because I've got Davis Mills. I, Davis Mills is in my quarterback one in my dynasty league, but you know I'm confident that he'll have a good enough season that I could move away from, from Russell Wilson this year with um, with Justin Herbert in my team as well. So I think it's going to be great. Michael Thomas, I think the reports are coming really good. I was a little bit concerned when he started on the pub list, but it sounds like he's going all right now. Chase Edmonds, that was a massive boom with us pick. Like that is a hard backfield to pick. I've got no idea who's going to be starting there, but if there's going to be one guy who I think has the high ceiling, it's going to be him, um, obviously, with receptions there as well. Uh, Zach Wilson. Now, I think, Nick, this is the one that I may have pre-sniped you on or someone in, in the chat. Um, Definitely me. Like, I was, I'm sure AJ would probably would have liked him in his team at some point as well. But, um, yeah, I look, I, I did that third quarterback. Um, he was sticking out like a sore thumb, um, so I had to take him. Now, the next part of my draft is where I think might cause me some problems where I went pretty heavy on, on rookies. Um, I've heard that today that uh, Burks is currently running with the second and third stringers. So uh, I, I guess my thought at the time was that, you know, obviously A.J. Brown's gone. Someone has to come in and be the wide receiver one. They drafted him for a reason the first round. Woods is coming off an injury. He's old. Uh, I know that. Uh, high pass, uh, sorry, high running team. So that was a bit of concern. But you know, the next these next four picks, I guess they were just all about upside. Uh, Damian Pierce, I'm hoping, you know, really takes that role at Houston. With and same as I can't even pronounce Tyler's last name, so I won't bother. Um, and Dotson, um, you know, I just like I love his speed. So I think you know he, he could you know really be a best ball darling if he um, can get a few touchdowns, long touchdowns. Uh, next pick was definitely a Giants pick. Um, Kenny Golladay, um, yeah, I, I regret that pick now. Um, yeah, I, I just, everything I'm hearing is it's not good. Daniel Jones is struggling. There's just no rapport between him and Kenny Golladay and, and Daniel Jones. So I just don't know what's going on with those wide receivers. Like, is it going to be Tony? Is it going to be uh, Wondell? You know, is it going to be Shepard? Who knows? So you know, I'm not too not too sure about that one. Um, I'll skip Butker. I mean, as everyone said, the, the kickers have a bit of value here, so I just went for, for floor on that one. Uh, and then the next one, I think another favorite pick of mine, I'll, I'll skip over Donovan, Donovan Peoples-Jones, but Devin Duvernay um, is a guy who's actually a massive sleeper for me. As AJ, AJ said, you know, Lamar, he's hoping, that, I know it's a lot of rushing, but um, hopefully he gets back to his MVP season, Lamar, and, and you know, starts airing it a bit more. Duvernay's second wide receiver on the depth chart at the moment. Sec, uh, third year wide receiver um, you know I think he, he had some okay numbers last year but there's really no one ahead of him so you know I took a real big punt on it but you know he's a guy I really wanted to get late in the draft so I was really happy to get him where I got him um, and then it was the last few were just kind of just potential upside guys um, Trey Sermon, LaVisca Chenault and James White um, so you know I'll probably drop a couple of those if there's some good reports out of other guys that I might pick off off waivers but um, who knows with San Francisco with Trey Sermon um, any any running back could be the number one there so I just thought I'd give it a punt and uh, yeah but yeah I was, I was reasonably happy with my team I guess pretty different strategy to most others with 
going a little bit later on on quarterback. But you know, you just gotta go for the fences. I think in this league. Yeah, I mean Lawrence should have uh, a reasonable improvement. And I had this conversation with a friend of mine who's got a podcast and. He was saying that Trevor Lawrence is going to far and away be the best quarterback in the AFC South. And I was saying that Davis Mills was already the best, the the better between the two of them at the end of last season. Mm. So we argued a little bit. And I was like, my thing is Trevor Lawrence had eight games last season where he didn't throw a touchdown. Mm. And I mean, obviously getting out of like the Urban Meyer situation is going to be better just for everybody involved. I think them being, you know, kind of a a poor team again last year is going to bond a lot of the young players. Like, uh, I don't know if you've seen any of the behind the scenes stuff with the lions yet, but, uh, kind of like that. You don't want to be the laughing stock of the league. And so I think there's room for them to have a significant jump there. I mean, your running backs are very solid on the front end and your receiver stack and your, your six, seven, eight pick is very, very nice too. Like if Michael Thomas comes back and, even if he's not 100%, like when he was 100%, he was had, what, 140 catches? So he could still be very, very productive for you. Cooks will produce with anybody. I think he's the only receiver in NFL history to record thousand consecutive 1,000-yard seasons with three different teams, if I'm not mistaken. And then DJ Moore's situation improved, I think, drastically with Baker Mayfield uh, stepping in uh, to the quarterback position there. I would have taken Zach Wilson because I was desperate, but I also feel that uh, Jets friend of mine is like, look, you got three really good receivers over there. You got a handful of good running backs and they ran the ball actually very effectively last season per carry. They just didn't commit to it and they got behind and they started abandoning the run. So it's not that they can't run, it's that they didn't run. So I think if they can establish a run and take some of the pressure off of Zach Wilson and he improves, we've heard that he's come in a lot bigger already this offseason. I've seen some of the tape of him throwing. He looks good. So I think his upside is really nice. So being able to get him in the position you got him with all the weaponry he's got, he may actually end up being the best quarterback out of your three. But, you know, that remains to be seen. Um, Bob, is there anything that stands out to you that you like about this roster? Um, yeah, there's a, there's several things. Uh, Zach Wilson, the best quarterback out of the three, though, is this it picking up uh, soccer moms or playing quarterback? I'm not really sure. Hey, it might be both. <laughs> um, so I made some notes again as I went through here. First of all, Michael Thomas in the eighth round. Uh, that's only becoming confirmed more and more as camp is going on. That Michael Thomas is is going to at least be a thing. He's I mean, obviously he's not going to be Michael Thomas of what three years ago, but. I, I think you got some tremendous value there. Um, Chase Edmonds, I, I look back at my pick of eight of Miles Sanders the round earlier, mm-hmm. and I would have just rather had Chase Edmonds around earlier than Miles Sanders. Um, so love that pick. Um, as a 49er fan, I'll tell you, Trey Sermon, Kyle Shanahan has had, what is it, five years, six years in a row now, a different lead rusher for the 49ers. Since he's been there every year, he's never ever repeated a lead rusher. Um, Trey Sermon was not in the doghouse for any any talent based reason. It was a running style reason. You know, he wants somebody that can be a one cut guy, somebody that can hit, see the hole, hit it, and go. And he has all the measurables to be able to pull that off. He just literally needed to hit more tape. Um, I'm not saying that Trey Sermon is going to be the lead running back for the 49ers. But I'm not saying he's not going to be the lead 40 running back for the 49ers because of what they do. I think your running backs are fantastic. 
um, all of them, to be a perfect honest. I mean, maybe John James White since he's dealing with the injury, but um, Damian Pierce or Tyler Algier, one of the two of those guys is going to be the starter on their team. Maybe both. Who knows? Um, and then Brandon Cooks, the forever undervalued Brandon Cooks. Um, I, I don't think that guy's ever been taken where he's supposed to be. Um, and even when I do it, I, I, I feel like I shouldn't. And then I realize that he's got tremendous value. I do have one question, though. Taking Kelsey in the first, I get it. Like, at that point, you're looking for, I mean, you're looking for the best player available and the quarterbacks have gone. I'm curious, did you consider at all going with sort of a tight end bully mentality considering that it's a tight end premium? I mean, I have seen several of these drafts where they take Kelsey and then they come back in the third and take a Kittle and, like, they really kind of bully the rest of that of their little league with the tight end position just to make sure they get that positional advantage. Did that you give that any thought to that at all or? Yeah, I was probably looking at a Mark Andrews, um, you know, if I could do it. Uh, I guess from my perspective, you know, I, I always viewed tight end, even in the premium league, it's still like that onesie position where, you know, you only have to start the one while everything else you've got to start. I mean, it, even though it's super flex, is technically a flex position, you, you have to start two quarterbacks. So, you know, I kind of, I thought if I took another tight end, then I would be giving up. I probably would have a worse quarterback or a worse running back room. And, you know, yeah, I, I, I did consider it, but I just, I decided to kind of shore up a couple of the other, like tight end, Kelsey's a lock. So that, that position's done. Like I've got, you know, I hopefully got the, the best tight end in the league, but it, you know, it might be a Mark Andrews line, but I, I feel pretty confident on that. And then I thought, well, I th- I've got an option here to actually get the best starting two running backs as well in, you know, the duo, not like the best running back, but the duo running back. So I kind of went down that route and then I kind of felt given that all the quarterbacks were off the board already, um, that I kind of had my hands tied and needed to, um, like I was, I was really happy to, but I did feel a little bit ha- um, like I had to take Trevor Lawrence where I took him just because there were so many that had gone and I just needed to kind of shore that up. I did can kind of consider it uh, probably in the second round with the Mark Andrews, but um, not for very long. Yeah. And the Mixon pick too. I love the Mixon pick. Absolutely love it. Uh, he's going to crush. Yeah. I mean, he'll, he's, he's such a nice dual thread guy when he's healthy. Um, and it looks like, I mean, barring any like massive injury, it looks like maybe his injury days are behind him. He looks like he bulked up and has been doing better with contact, at least through last season. Um, AJ, you got any thoughts on this one? I'm sure you do, but, uh, give me like maybe four or five and we'll move on. Yeah, totally. Um, I think Kelsey at the one Oh six was a slam dunk after those five quarterbacks. Uh, I really think he was the best value on the board by a pretty substantial margin. I think his volume uh, already sort of set in stone, but with the departure of Tyreek Hill, I mean, I like Juju and I do like Sky more, but it's clear who the real wide receiver one is, and that is Travis Kelsey, somebody who could realistically see well over 150 targets, which is just such an anomaly at the tight end position. So even though you did have to forego some of those elite quarterback talents, I think that pick just made way too much sense. The running back room speaks for itself. I'm very high on both Edmonds and Tua. I've got the Dolphins offense as a whole just finishing above consensus. And I think uh, with the completion percentage bonus, I think Tua is going to be able to hit that because of the scheme that Mike McDaniel will run. It'll be a lot of RPO. It'll be a lot of short range passes to those electric playmakers that he has with Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. And the Michael Thomas pick 
could end up being the steal of the draft. The reports out of camp look like he is about as close to the former Michael Thomas that we once knew. Obviously, uh, he may not be 100%. We may not get that legendary Michael Thomas, but he's going to run away with the targets. And if Jameis Winston can step up, then he'll absolutely crush that wide receiver 30 ADP. And then lastly, um, Damian Pierce, I think, is going to blow Marlon Mack out of the water and get a ton of valuable running uh, running back volume for you. Uh, just of note, Mark Ingram was able to put up plenty of top 20 running back weeks. And if you watched any of Damian Pierce at Florida, you know he's much more dynamic than 32-year-old Mark Ingram. So I thought that was a slam dunk pick, and I think he's got tons of upside. And Jahan Dotson, another rookie that I've got quite above consensus. And as of camp reports, it looks like he's comfortably running with the ones. And uh, I think he'll definitely be slotting in the slot there and get a ton of volume a lot more than people expect early on. Yeah, the Pierce pick is really good value in that position, um, especially with the word coming out of camp right now is that he's picked up the offense really, really quickly, um, which is going to give him a chance to be in there uh, as a, what, a three down back. Um, so if I mean, if he can pick up those blocking assignments, like his, his running back ability is much higher than uh, RB43. So I think you're pretty solid there. Let's get to my semi-okay roster. Where did I put it? All right. Let's take a look. So, yeah, you were in the seven pick, right? You were right before me, James? Yeah, so I was in the same, I was in the same position as you where it's like uh, basically all the, the premium uh, quarterbacks are gone at that point. I mean, I've been burned taking the number one, like, overall player – uh before and having them get injured has happened to me like several times so i wouldn't be surprised to see taylor get injured but i have to take that there uh bringing in matt ryan who's not a mobile guy at all anymore in at this stage in his career i think they're going to establish the run they're going to play almost like they did last season with a quarterback upgrade from there uh I'm happy to get Russell Wilson where I got him. I mean, he's right at the edge there at QB 12. Uh, His upside in Denver is high. I think it's probably going to put him in the conversation of when he was having his solid, well, his MVP type years in Seattle. Uh, The question will be whether or not it's going to be a drop off after like the midway point, which he struggled with in some of uh, the recent seasons. So we'll see if uh, he's front loaded and they come out of the box hot or if uh, (laughs) if he ends up getting in rhythm with those receivers late and finishes out the season strong but either way i'm i'm happy with that uh debo was a tough pick because Diggs was on the board and you know as a bills fan i'm like how can i not pick Diggs here and for some reason i just talked myself out of it and even if debo doesn't pile up the rushing yards that he did last season he will still probably have some rushing touchdowns which Diggs is almost never gonna have they can utilize samuel like the Chiefs do Kelsey inside the 10 and I think just him having a slight edge in dual threat plus adding on Trey Lance who's got a much bigger arm than Jimmy G is going to allow Debo to run a different kind of route tree than he was limited to last season which is probably why he ran the ball more in the first place because of the limitations of Garoppolo's arm 
moved on to that to Chubb and I'm like, okay, well, I'm solid at running back. I've got my, you know, my number one receiver. I've got, I'm happy a quarterback. Deonta Johnson kind of like falls in my lap. I had him last season, perfectly happy with that. Uh, and then by the time it gets to Mike Williams, you know, I wasn't really like going to jump at a running back right there. I might've gone to tight end, but I think all the tight ends were already kind of the, the tight ends that I was targeting were already gone. Mike Williams in that offense, he's he's been weird. I've had him on my team a couple times in the last few years, and he'll go for like 21 week and zero the next week. So him developing a little bit of a rapport with Herbert in the offseason, I think is, you know, good overall. He stretches the field for them. Big target, good hands. I, I don't see any reason why he's not going to put up numbers as long as he's healthy. He's not going to get the target volume that Keenan Allen does, but being in that offense is going to throw the ball a lot. I'm, I'm happy with that. With Gasecki, you know, I, I needed a tight end there. I'm hoping that the Tyreek Hill factor elevates him in that offense because the way that the Chiefs have used Hill in all these years, like you have to kind of shell the defense behind him to try and prevent him from getting behind you. That opens up a little bit more one-on-one -on -one opportunities for Kelsey underneath. And Kelsey thrived, obviously, in that system for a long time. So I think, well, I'm hopeful that that will open up Kaseki to more targets. He's pretty good in terms of red zone targets already. So I, I was happy with that there. And then to get Hunter Renfro behind that, I mean, he is in an offense where he may uh, suffer from a lack of uh, target availability, but he's still uh, an elite slot option for them and he's got a great relationship with Carr. very solid last year and their offense didn't get worse uh and if anything if you're going to start dedicating you know double teams to adams and waller renfro is going to run uh much more free than he was so i'm really happy with the value i got for renfro there especially after mike williams and that i was able to go to picks and still get renfro i was happy pollard um had career highs in think basically every category last season splitting time with Zeke so it's like I know he's not going to be the number one but he still produced uh plenty for them his yards per carry was high he lined up uh in the slot a few times here and there so he's a nice dual threat option plus if Elliot deals with any injuries he steps into a, a pretty sizable role right away all that quarterback stuff that had gone on before me lands me with Jared Goff at uh, my round 10 pick. And, you know, honestly, like he was on the board. I probably would have taken one of those other guys ahead of him that were also kind of in the low end range. But I'm not terribly upset with it. Uh, I mean, they're coming off like they can't get any worse than they were last year. Goff has shown that he's capable in a play action offense to put up uh, reasonable numbers. He's they're bringing in DJ Chark. Uh, they, I can't remember the rookie that they brought in right now, but he's getting Hawkinson back. Uh, they're going to have their run game established. And I, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that Swift is going to gobble up some like easy uh, yak yards uh, out of that backfield. So I think golf, well, not ideal isn't, as terrible as maybe it would have looked had this board uh, been drafted last season. Uh, it is going to come down to something that uh, Bob had said earlier, where like my whole team might be riding on that QB two position. Um, so if Goff is really, really struggling, 
you know, I don't want to have to trot out two kickers if I can avoid it. Um, but I think, you know, with with the cast of characters that I have, I might be able to get away with it. Gordon, solid value there. I mean, he dropped further and further and further. I just because Devonte Williams has become so popular all of a sudden. Um, but their their split was fairly even last year. It's going to slide probably more 60-40 than 50-50 this year towards Javante, so I'm okay with that. It's more of a handcuff grab anyway, but uh, Gordon, I think, still ran for 800 yards, had another, like, 300-ish receiving, so it's like he still had 1,000 scrimmage yards, I think, maybe threatened uh, double-digit touchdowns. So as a number two guy, that's not terrible, Um, but I just took him based more on availability. And then we get into the tight end debacle that's going on in Tampa Bay for me, where, you know, the early word was that Otten was going to be the new Gronk, that he looked good, that Tom liked him. Uh, and then we find out, you know, what is it a week after the draft that Kyle Rudolph has been brought in to basically be the number one, which go down a few picks from there. And that, you know, Cameron Bray pick is looking even worse, uh, So I'm going to have to figure out something there. But, you know, maybe if Rudolph just doesn't click or gets hurt or something, then I have an option. Uh, If this were Dynasty, I'd be much happier with Otten in that position long term. But because I have Goff, one of my favorite players, regardless of the team, has always been DJ Chark. I love this kid. I don't know why. He wears my number 17, so it's like he always got bonus points. It was fun watching him play on a bad Jags team and just be a playmaker, similar to like when Allen Robinson like was on that like you know mediocre Bears team. But it was just like you throw him the ball one on one, he's going to go up, he's going to get it, and he was just that kind of guy. Whether or not he bounces back from the uh, the leg break or the ankle break uh, and plays at a high level remains to be seen. But I think he's in an offense that uh, is going to give him a chance. And he should step into being their best receiver if he's healthy. So I like that. Uh, I've heard good things with him and Goff so far at a camp. I like the Justin Tucker pick. It may be a little bit high, but in our league that has a nice kicker premium, I got to take the best kicker there is, the best kicker of all time. Um, and I'm not upset with that. Uh, if I have to go with a weird two kicker flex game, then. You know, having Tucker there is not going to kill me. I like Corey Davis a lot. He's probably falling down closer to the third option now, but he's always been a productive guy when he's healthy and he gets targets. So it's just going to come down to whether or not the Jets are going to really value targeting him over uh, Elijah. And I can't think of the other rookie they brought in next to him. But if he's going to legit be the number two guy there still, then I'm happy with that. Uh, It's going to take Zach Wilson having a nice jump though we'll skip over the Cameron Braid pick lands me at Ernest Johnson at uh, 1705 I had heard rumors about the whole Kareem Hunt situation before we did this draft so there was a time where it's like I had Hunt maybe more linked to being the handcuffed to Chubb but I decided to just like pass on that it's going to hopefully be better for both of them uh, individually if Hunt moves on. But I really like Darius Johnson. If anything happens to Nick Chubb, I'm good there. Even if the trade happens and Kareem Hunt moves on and Johnson steps in a secondary role that uh, Kareem Hunt used to fill, Kareem Hunt was a viable fantasy option for many years playing second fiddle to Chubb. So I'm not upset with that at all. The Malik Willis pick is an upside pick 
and a lack of faith pick in Tannehill. Uh, just with all the stuff that Tannehill's lost and with their rookie, like you said, playing with the second team and Robert Woods coming off of the injury, you know, they're going to give Derrick Henry the ball all the time. And Tannehill didn't look good to close out the season last year either. I know he's paid well and he's going to be their guy that starts, but Tennessee's window of opportunity is not huge. And I could see a situation where if Tannehill is struggling but everything else is clicking that they may take a chance on Willis. And if he steps in and can produce, then maybe I find a quarterback too that way. AJ Green was more of a precautionary pick with, was it Hopkins is still suspended, I think. Um, so that's just for the first half of the season. If he's going to be the guy, I'm happy with that. I'm not relying on him too big. I went, I went receiver again with Callaway. Not sure about Michael Thomas. Now that Michael Thomas is healthy, maybe the Callaway pick is not as uh, friendly as it could have been. But if he steps in and he's the number two in that offense and, you know, they're clicking, then he can still be productive if I need him in like a spot play. Bridgewater is another in case of emergency pick where, you know, I'm a Bills fan. I've seen I've seen Tua play a lot, and I, I don't think he's the bust that a lot of people have, like, made him out to be, right? But I've also seen him play enough to think that, like, he's maybe not, like, the guy. So if he gets hurt, which he has been in the past, or if he struggles, which he also has in the past, I'm happy with having Teddy Bridgewater step into that situation with that offense. Uh, he's shown that he can be a capable starter on a number of different teams and a number of different offenses just within the last like three or four years. So I'm totally happy to get Bridgewater that late. He might even be my, my best value quarterback. Um, and then I had to close out the draft with my classmate, Nick Folk, just in case we run this two kicker flex offense. Um, we'll go to AJ. What do you think, man? Um, I think Russell Wilson as the QB 12 was a slam dunk. I know he's going much higher than that in both redraft and best ball formats right now um i think he could be poised if hackett does sort of give him the keys and if he does find some of that rushing upside he did during his mvp seasons or his mvp-esque seasons in seattle that he could totally totally end up in the top six quarterback even top five quarterback conversation especially with some of the concerns about kyler murray as well and some of those other fringe low-end one guys having much lower floors and similar but slightly higher ceilings. Um, I think Nick Chubb is about as solid as they come. Whenever somebody takes Nick Chubb, I've never said that it's a bad pick. It's very rarely a bad pick, and I don't think it'll be a bad pick this year. Um, I am also somebody who is quite bullish on Deontay Johnson. And then I love the pairing of a boomer bust guy like Mike Williams with a super reliable guy like Hunter Renfro, where he's going to be able to supplant those bust weeks for Mike Williams as your third receiver quite often. And even though a lot of people are not too in on Renfro because of the addition of Devontae Adams, I think what he proved last year alongside Derek Carr is not just to be swept under the rug. I mean, a wide receiver 11 finish doesn't happen by accident. So I think Renfro is an absolute slam dunk value as well. And then Tony Pollard is your third running back, provides crazy upside. And like you said, he did reach career highs in all the main statistical categories. Plus, they're talking about using him in the slot and as more of a receiving option with the departure of Amari Cooper. I think that's going to really come to fruition. And I'm definitely 
above consensus on Jared Goff. I think what Detroit is putting together over there is going to help Jared Goff put together a, a season much better than QB 28, at least in my eyes, because, I mean, we've seen Jared Goff succeed in the past, and even though he gets a bad rap, I mean, this is a Super Bowl quarterback with QB1 finishes. He's helped receivers finish inside the top five. Um, so I think golf is a great value and your running back room as a whole. I'd love that you grab Dearness Johnson as well. And I think he could be a huge benefactor if we do see a Kareem Hunt departure. Uh, something super interesting is that when Hunt was injured, it's not like Nick Chubb immediately jumped to some crazy high snap count. It usually kind of stayed. Nick Chubb stays in his role whether Hunt is on the field or not. And when Chubb is not on the field, Dearness Johnson immediately jumps into that role. So I think Dearness Johnson's floor is above this RB61 value that you got him at, and his ceiling is about 100 times higher. So that was really one of my favorite picks in the entire draft. Me too. You made me feel a lot better about that. Uh, James, what are you looking at? You know, I guess there's the two of owner. Um that Teddy Bridgewater pick just breaks my heart. <laughs> Absolutely hate it. Don't agree with you whatsoever. I think you're wrong. I wrong. had to. I had to. I got him at the second to last pick, and my quarterback room is terrible. <laughs> no, that's that's fair. That's fair. no. I think it's yeah, not, not a bad little handcuff to have it back at the end there. Um, yeah, I think what AJ said about Dennis Johnson. Johnson, sorry. Um, like I was gonna ask you if you had known any news about Hunt when you made that pick because it was probably a little higher than I was looking to take him. But like now that we know exactly, like with the trade um, request coming in, it, that's like that. You know, you probably take him a fair few uh, rounds earlier now. You probably taking him. You know, I yeah. didn't. I didn't know, but I had heard some things. Yeah. I mean, I knew the contract situation was approaching. I knew that Ernest Johnson had shown that Hunt doesn't necessarily deserve the kind of money from Cleveland that he wants to stay there. Um, and I had just heard some whispers that, you know, this situation might unfold. So when all of a sudden he sat out of practice seeking a new contract, I was like, oh boy. I was like, I, I forgot who I heard that from, but that guy was spot on. And I got to follow him. I don't know where it, I follow him somewhere, but I don't remember who it was. But I did hear it beforehand. Well, I think that's a great tip for like anyone who's listening to the podcast who's kind of newish to, to fantasy. Like, get onto Twitter, follow as many like people as you can, because um, it's the news that you kind of hear about. You know, when you especially in the later rounds, it's the little nuggets that you know they might not pay off, but you know it might be gold. So, and that's where you win your draft. You, you know, as we always say, you're not going to win your draft early. That's why you league early. You're going to win it late. And you know, that pick could really, you know, that could be an amazing pick. I mean, you got Nick Chubb there as well. So you've, you know, you've tied up that, that backfield. So I think that's great. I really like uh, your Pollard and, and Melvin Gordon pick. Like they're not back to back, but they're pretty close. Um, I think you've got a really nice floor there with Gordon. I think he's really been undervalued. I think everyone's on that Javonta train, which, you know, I I get it. Like he's young, young guy. But you know, Melvin has shown, as you said, he's a solid running back. They've have they everything coming out of camp is saying that they're not, you know, having one. It's it's going to be timeshare, just like they did last year. And I think you know that's a really nice floor that you got with Pollard, who has a massively high ceiling. He was coming on really nice last year. Was starting to get a lot more carries. Zeke is he's going downhill pretty quick as a dynasty owner of 
obviously a guy can't get rid of him for anything. So uh, I think Pollard's really going to take a step up this year. And as AJ said, he's he's not just playing as running back. He'll, he'll be out, you know, a little bit wider. So I think, you know, those two guys together in a best ball league, I think that's a really, really nice pairing. So I really, I really like that. And I think, you know, your, your tight ends, you know, you've, you, you might have, uh, look, you probably got the, the t- uh, Tampa Bay tight end, so that, you know, that's a good thing. And I think Kosicki, where you got him, I think that's a really nice pick. I, you know, I'm, I'm in on the Dolphins. I think, um, yeah, he's another kind of um, tight end that if you're going to go for a late one, he's, he's one to take a you know, dart throw out. So, uh, yeah, no, and look, in terms of your running backs, I think I said earlier that I felt like I had the best pairing of running backs, starting running backs in the league. Maybe I'm not so sure. Maybe Taylor and Chubb might be better than what I got. So uh, I think he did well. It's pretty close between us. I mean, if Derrick Henry plays up to his potential and so does Mixon, I mean, it's it's going to be a coin toss between uh, who's better between those two pairs. Uh, Bob, what do you think? Um, well, first, I've got to disagree just a little bit with James on the Zeke call there. I think Zeke's got a little gas left in the tank. If you look at his numbers the first five weeks of last year, he was still producing a top five running back running back output until his injury that we didn't know about until of course after the season was over with so i actually think zeke's still got something left in the tank but my note here on your team specifically with pollard is that he has standalone value without a zeke injury as far as i'm concerned um especially considering when you look at vacated targets as it pertains to the running back so many vacated targets in dallas and they're gonna spread the ball around i actually am one of the few people that I know that is not really in on CD Lamb for that very reason is they spread the ball around. I don't think CD Lamb, I mean, he's yeah, he's the alpha now, but I think that they're gonna spread the ball around. And I think Tony Pollard's gonna get used in some very interesting ways. So I love that pick there. Um Mike Williams, uh, to quote the great Jason Moore on the fantasy footballers, you're not you're injury prone until you're not. And <laughs> Mike Williams I, all he the, again last year he was five six weeks into the year he was the what, number one number two at wide receiver and he tweaked an ankle and then he slowed down and then he ended the year strong again i think mike williams is the best pick you've got here i i, I love him this year i considered him in the fourth round where i took Pittman, but how can i reach for williams when Pittman was still there you know yeah, adp you. gets it AB, adp gets in your head so i think mike williams could be a absolute dynamo this year in all formats um a couple other notes here i got my, my favorite note is ballsy move to wait for wait on qb after russell wilson but it may have already paid off due to the samuel contract because you, you skip quarterback quite a ways which is jared goff who i do like and i think you got a value on but um i would have assumed as you were starting to build that that's a good spot to grab that second quarterback and Debo now at wide receiver five could be wide receiver two or three or or even one with the usage. I mean, when they pay him to, when they're paying him per rush <laughs> or per, per rushing yard, I think that's going to really change things. And it makes me look at him in a different way when it comes to fantasy. Obviously, he's my favorite player. I'm a 49er fan. That's good. Um, and then lastly, I, the, I liken the, the Malik Willis situation actually to another 49ers situation. It reminds me a lot of the 2012 49ers with the Alex Smith and Kaepernick mm-hmm. as a backup situation. Like, yeah, Tannehill is the quarterback. Nobody, nobody's looking, looking any other way than that. But 
All it takes is Willis coming in and on a good team with a great defense, a good line, a good running game, good, you know, none of the receivers could use some work, but it's, you've got a winning situation there and a potential cheat code with Malik Willis's legs. So you could have an absolute steal down there if you get that situation halfway through the year. So those are, those are the notes I had on, on yours in particular yeah that's what i'm hoping for and i did walk into situations where both samuel and williams signed big extensions uh after we did this draft so those were question marks of you know what's going to happen with these guys but i'm glad that their teams believe in them enough to pay them accordingly um i'm going to stop the screen share we'll keep it with you for a second uh we'll kind of we'll skip over the fantasy wrap-up thing because we kind of talked about the kareem hunt situation already um give me one super sleeper that you think nobody else is looking at so we're talking real deep as deep as you want to go well okay so i'll go to and actually i'm, I'm interested in james in, uh, input on this i'm looking at Kadarius tony i still feel like he's very underdrafted he if you look at his target share last year he ranks it amongst the titans of the wide receiver position when it comes to target share the way they used him he just was never on the field um I, the question is is who does dable and who do the giants believe is the alpha in that offense i saw james drafted kenny galladay galladay and it, it, that almost gave me pause like oh wait maybe you know he follows or maybe he knows something i don't but Kadarius tony is somebody i've been trying to grab in the you know ninth tenth eleventh round in pretty much every draft I'm in. James? Yeah, like, I think Bob's right there. It's hard to know right now who's going to be that number one, but, um, you know, as you said, when, when Tony was fit, um, just looking at his numbers here, like, he was a wide receiver one for one of the weeks. I mean, it, it, he's going to, that's bull. He's a guy that's, uh, he's going to be boom or bust uh, from what we've seen him when he plays. It'll come down to if Daniel Jones can be as good as what I hope he's going to be, uh, which isn't looking good right now. Um, I've heard some really good uh, reports out of the rookie Wondell um, Robinson. Like he's he's meant to be looking really nice, uh, making some big plays. Um, so that's the hard thing, right? When you've got a when you've got a team when there's three or four options, like you got sack one as well. Like who's going to get it? And you know that's why I, I was. It's funny when we were doing the Scott Fishbowl. Like I, I saw Tony there, and I'm like, oh my god, I, I forgot completely about Tony. And I was like, well, I'll probably line him up to take, and he, and he went. But like, he's he's falling so low that you forget about him, um, especially when you got the big, you know, Kenny Galladay's always had the, the name compared to Tony, given the contract. Um, but the, like, the issue is that like, if you take him in a redraft league, um, yeah, you don't want him as your starter. He's going to be someone that you know maybe your flex or you know you kind of your your third to fourth option. Um, and if it doesn't play out, then you can kind of move on from him. But then. He also could be a player that if you move on from him, he might then start coming good. So it, it, it's going to be a hard one. Yeah, the, the question I think also really is, do they clean up Daniel Jones' accuracy? Do they, do they, you know, really hone him in? And then, of course, that there's also the fact that they tried to trade Co Tony a month ago, mm -hmm. which really has got me cooling on him. But I don't know, does it have me cooling on him the same way as everybody else cooling on him? And then he's going to come out and surprise us all just like people do every single year so yeah and, and sometimes it's better to make certain players someone else's problem like 
Like some like I I've never drafted Mike Williams. Um, <laughs> he will either score you like 40 points or he's going to get you zero. And I know. And every time I start him, he'll get me the zero. And when I put him on the bench, put me the 40. And I just don't want to have to deal with that. So I'd rather you know make that someone else's problem. Um, Tony, it's my problem. Yeah. <laughs> put, me in, put me in every dynasty league you're in, buddy. I'll trade you whatever you want for Mike Williams oh, this year. Yeah, I know. And, and, and it'll like, but that's the thing. Like, I'm like, oh, I'm happy to just make that someone else's problem. Um, and I'll I'll go in a different direction. Um, and I, it's too early to know if that's the case with Tony, but it just feels like there's just so many ifs right now that it might be one that you might want to steer somewhere else. But if you if you can if he's a luxury pick, I definitely think he's a great one. Awesome. Uh, AJ, you got a, a super sleeper for us? Yeah, I'm going to get really, really deep with this one. And I'm going to talk about uh, a rookie that was actually picked by the Patriots that a lot of people were kind of scratching their heads when the Taekwon Thornton pick was made. And it now looks like he's going to be bringing an element to that Patriots offense that they absolutely did not have, which is somebody on the outside who is a burner. Uh, who has the size to play and every single report out of the Patriots training camp looks like he has a legitimate shot to start. This is definitely more of a, a dynasty dart throw where you can get him for, for pretty darn cheap. And I think uh, Mac Jones is going to like having that skill set around, but I do think there's a non-zero chance that he has some value in best ball and potentially season long redraft. Uh, they clearly weren't happy with their receiver core, they did bring in Devontae Parker as well. Uh, Jacoby Myers and Kendrick Bourne, kind of guys that play more in the slot. But nobody nobody that really takes the top off of the defense the way that Tyquan Thornton was able to at Baylor. And um, the cool thing was after that draft, a lot of fans were scratching their heads, but a lot of GMs actually had Thornton quite higher on their boards than mock drafts were originally projecting him. So... I love Thornton as a prospect. He wasn't someone I had on my radar until after the NFL draft, but I think he's going to really shock a lot of people and it might take him a few weeks to come on. But I think if you're in dynasty and you can get him for next to nothing now, uh, you won't be disappointed. That's a good point. And they finally made the decision to like part ways with uh, Nikhil Harry this off season. So it's like they finally just flush that down the toilet and moved on to something that's going to actually help them. So I like that pick. Uh, James, I don't know if we got one from you. Uh, yeah, I mean, I kind of mentioned before, I really like Devin DuVernay. Um, I'm just putting him on last pick. Like, he's one of those guys where I'll know pretty quick if it's worth keeping him or not. Um, it that's, That'd be pretty deep league. Like, I, I don't, you know, I'm not sure, you know, how, how useful he's going to be if you're in a shallower league. Um, but... I think he's a guy that, you know, he's worth a dart throw. If you can just put on that last pick, just sit him on your bench for one or two weeks. And if it doesn't work out, just move on pretty quick. But uh, I, I quite, I like it. You know, I like where he's at. He's hopefully the wide receiver too on hopefully what will be a, a little bit more of a throwing offense with Lamar now healthy. As um, as AJ said really early, uh, the running back's a little bit beat up. So, uh, you know, it could pay off. All right. Uh, I'm going to go with a homer pick. And it's not as deep as some others, but... I really like what I'm seeing out of Isaiah McKenzie right now. I know the Bills brought in Khalil Shakir, but you know they're not going to just inject him right away. They brought in Crowder, but they're actually paying McKenzie more than they are Crowder. And with the additional rumors floating around of OBJ potentially joining the Bills, and you're looking at uh, like cap casualties, I could see that even if Crowder is a good fit, 
McKenzie knows the offense. He's been there. He's been explosive when they've utilized him. They would stick with him to absorb a lot of the those slot targets. And I think he could explode this year in comparison to what he's done before. I mean, I think they're taking him off punt return. So he's not going to be dealing with that. Uh, he's not going to do kick return. So they're just... They're going to utilize him in a kind of combo. They're going to run those jet sweeps. They're going to run him on crossing routes. They're going to give him a lot of those uh, underneath routes that Cole Beasley had. And I don't think he sees the targets that Cole Beasley had, but he can do more after the catch than Beasley did. So there's a lot of room for McKenzie to all of a sudden burst onto the scene. Uh, yeah, I I absolutely love, love that McKenzie call, by the way. He looks like he's locking up that starting slot receiver role and, like you said, even if he's not getting the Beasley volume, being in the Beasley role in such a high-octane offense is going to bring weekly fantasy production one way or another, especially with his yards after the catch potential. Yeah, similar to, I mean, like, he's not quite Tyreek Hill, but, like, when Cole Beasley would catch certain types of routes, he's just going to go down, like, save the possession. We got the first down. There's no, like, risk after the catch there. But McKenzie's so fast that if he catches that same kind of pass he's going to have room to run. So it's just going to be a different element to their slot that could catch a lot of teams by surprise, especially in the first half of the season. So, I mean, as a Bills fan, obviously, I'm hugely uh, invested and hopeful that that is the case. Um, but I think there's good potential there for him. We're going to go around the room. We've been we've been at it for 90 minutes. We went a little bit over, so hopefully everyone's not too tired. Hopefully James' job situation is okay. Let's let's start with you, James. Uh, you want to give any shout outs? Anything you need to plug? Uh, no, I mean no. Obviously, yeah, you know, appreciate the you know you having me on today. Like I think you know we're all together here because of Scott Scott Fishbowl. You know it's, it's an amazing cause. Um, you know I think we're all commissioners as well. He does have a commission impossible podcast, which is a little bit interesting. Gives some insights on on how to do that. If you know if there's guy people listening and they're thinking about becoming a commissioner, it is I actually really enjoy it. It's great fun. Um, but no, I'll just let's say, you know, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Cool. Thank you for uh, joining us. I appreciate you being here. I'm glad we finally could find a date that made everything work for us. Uh, Bob, let's throw it over to you, man. Yeah, I, hard to feel like that wasn't directed at me forgetting about my five-year-old's birthday. <laughs> well, uh, no, I don't, have, I don't have anything to, any, any plugs or shout out. I'm, uh, I am a, a fan that is excited to be here and uh, just drinking in all the... Uh, all the little moments, drinking and being in the, you know, wearing the t-shirt, you know, where getting on a podcast, doing all the fun stuff that I've been kind of watching and fanboying for over the last couple of years and getting to participate in all of this has been pretty awesome. Cool. Well, I appreciate you being here as well. Thank you. I'm glad you're uh, enjoying it and you made time for us. Uh, and AJ, why don't you, uh, you take us out here? Yeah. Um, I really appreciate joining this with you guys. It's really cool to look back on the Scott Fish Bowl draft a few weeks after, see how some of these uh, player values have changed considering how early we drafted in the offseason, especially the training camp news, late free agent acquisitions and stuff like that. Um, I do a podcast with my co-host and longtime friend Ben called The Pylon Don, so make sure to check us out at AJ The Pylon Don and at Ben The Pylon Don on Twitter and Pylon Don's Fantasy Football on every platform you can listen to podcasts. And thanks again, Nick. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for being here. I'll make sure that I include uh, uh, all of that information in the show notes. I'll tag I, all you guys and we'll take care of all that stuff. 
thanks again, everybody, for being here. Thank everybody who's listening. Thank you, Scott, for bringing us all together and getting me a new group of fantasy friends and commissioners to commiserate with. And uh, I mean, I think that's going to do it. We did 90 minutes. We, we might do it again. If you guys are interested, you can come back. We'll run it back. I wish uh, Jason would have jumped in this with us since he, I think he said he finished seventh overall in the Scott Fishbowl last year. It would have been nice to pick his brain uh, on his draft strategy and maybe what got him to that number seven position last year, but maybe for another time. I'll hound him in the group chat. Uh, anyway, thanks for listening, everybody. Take care. Go Bills. Thanks to everyone who took the time to listen to the episode. I still believe that word of mouth is the best way to help, so if you enjoyed it, please tell somebody. But liking, subscribing, and sharing go a long way too. This show is an extension of thescheist.com, and you can contact me at info at or at Scheist Podcast on Twitter. And until next time, take care and be well.